Hello and welcome to the 27th of June edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis and the team for this week's edition comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine. Hello. Phil. Hello. And Jane. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we'll include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, etc., the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times and the birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. With regard to the obituaries, you will now find they come at the end of the recording. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number here is 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings, and if neither of these are returned, you'll not receive further recordings. But if you're unwell or have a problem, please just ring us, same number as before, 767-766, and leave a message. All our recordings are now available as podcasts via the Worcester Talking News website. And just to remind you that we have an extensive library of talking books from fiction, thrillers, romance, to name but a few. They're available in many formats, tape, CD or USB stick. And we can provide a list of books from our library. It can be provided in large print hard copy or on tape. If you're interested, leave a message on that telephone number 767-766 or just put a note in with your talking newspaper stick. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Jane is going to read for us. Police, non-emergency, 101. Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-111. Worcester Hub for Council Matters, 01905-765-765. Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and Henry Sandon Hall, 01905 611 427. Malvern Theatres, 01684 here at Colin Chance House, 01905-767766. Thank you, Jane. And I now have a short list of what's coming up in Worcester uh, over the next week. So starting with Thursday, well, actually it opens on July the 2nd, which is a Tuesday, and it runs for two weeks. You can enjoy an outdoor production of Pride and quite a lot of prejudice at the Commandery Gardens. The gates open at half past six for a picnic if you want one, and the performance starts at 7.30, goes on till 9.30. It's performed by the Worcester Repertory Company, 
Tickets cost £17.50, must be purchased in advance, and you can get them from worcesterlive.co.uk or telephone 611427. On Saturday the 6th of July at the Swan Theatre, starting at half past seven, the ELO Experience Tribute Band will be performing a sensational tribute to, guess what, the Electric Light Orchestra. Tickets are £24. Also on Saturday the 6th of July, the Worcestershire Symphony Orchestra are playing a selection of Mozart, Stravinsky and Saint-Saëns at Christchurch, Avenue Road, Malvern. Tickets are £12, concessions £10, and for tickets, visit the website worcestershiresymphony.org.uk, all lowercase. On Sunday, the Ju- Sunday 7th of July, there's a craft fair taking place at Worcester Woods Country Park in aid of the Guide Dogs charity, and that's running from 10am until 4pm. A bit later on, on Saturday, Saturday July the 13th, You can catch up with the Rhythm of the Dance at the Swan Theatre. It's a two-hour extravaganza showcasing all the best of Irish dance and music. For tickets, telephone the box office on 01905 611 427. So I think that'll do for what's on and we'll move straight away onto the headlines, which Catherine's going to read for us and then she'll start the headline stories. Right, Okay. So here are the headlines, um, a list of them. Friday, June the 21st, Robot Helps Oscar Learn. Saturday, June the 22nd, Pervert Dad's Child Porn Shame. Monday, June the 24th, Let's Stop Children from Being Exploited. Tuesday, June the 25th, Derelict Pub Set to Become a Takeaway. Wednesday, June the 26th, Family, Pet, Cat, Death, Horror. Thursday, June the 27th, robbers stamped on victim's face. So I'm going to begin with the headline story for Friday, June the 21st. Robot helps Oscar learn. Brave schoolboy battling leukaemia uses technology from his hospital bed. A schoolboy battling leukaemia can now join in with school classes from his hospital bed thanks to technology provided by a charity. Five-year-old Oscar Saxelby-Lee is currently recovering at Birmingham Children's Hospital after a bone marrow transplant, and thanks to robot-like equipment called AV1, he can use a computer tablet to watch lessons taking place at Pitmaston Primary School and interact. This has been provided to the Worcester boy by the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust as a trial project. Oscar's mum, Olivia Saxelby, said... Something magical has happened, all thanks to Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. Pitmaston Primary School has received their very own Aussie Bot. This means Oscar can engage in classroom activities, school life and continue bonding with his peers from his hospital bed. Jen Kelly from the Grace Kelly Trust said, It was an honour to go into Oscar's school and work with them to make this possible. To see Oscar's beaming face on seeing his classmates is absolutely amazing. We're absolutely delighted that Grace's legacy is making this possible. Since we announced this on social media, we've been approached by two other families in Worcester. Their children also have cancer and are hugely isolated. They're hoping that we can help their children too. 
we know that there are a number of other children in a similar situation, as there are up to 25 children diagnosed every year in Worcestershire alone. Oscar has been battling T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia since December. Following his diagnosis, he was given just three months to find a stem cell donor. Pitmaston Primary held a weekend of donor tests on Monday, the sec- March the 2nd and 3rd, and around 5,000 people attended to be swabbed and registered to, fi- registered to find a tissue match for Oscar. Three matches were found for Oscar, allowing him to have the bone marrow transplant in the hope of winning his battle to survive. The Grace Kelly Trust is now hoping to raise funds through the Tesco Centenary Bag Scheme beginning on July the 1st, which allows people to vote for them to receive up, up, up to £2,500 as a donation to provide an extra two to five AV1 robots for local children. It costs £900 to sponsor an AV1 machine for three months for a child. Email contact at gkcct.org for more details. I would like to point out before I read Saturday's headline that there is some material in this article that some listeners might find upsetting. Pervert Dad's Child Porn Shame A dirty dad who doctored pornographic images to make it look like he was having sex with children was reported to police by his own horrified daughter. Grandfather and retired primary school teacher Terence Ingalls of Worcester was arrested after his daughter discovered the indecent pseudo-images, including photos of her dad naked, on his laptop and took the computer straight to city police. Ingalls, since disowned by his family, used computer program Paint to create indecent pseudo-images of children, cutting and pasting the heads of girls as young as six onto adult bodies and adding his own head to that of adult males to make it look as if he was having sex with children. The 68-year-old, sorry, the 66-year-old of Infirmary Walk, Worcester, admitted three counts of making indecent pseudo-images of children, 260 Category A, 360 Category B and 33 at Category C. Category A is considered the most serious as it involves images of penetrative sexual activity, although no actual abuse of children took place. Adam Weston, prosecuting, said five days after Ingalls pleaded guilty on May the 16th, his offender manager discovered more similar images which will be the subject of a further police investigation. However, this forensic analysis of the computer is expected to take a further 12 months because of a backlog of sexual offence cases in the courts, so Judge Nicholas Cartwright agreed to sentence Ingalls, warning him that he was at risk of a future prosecution. Mr Weston said it was the defendant's daughter who reported him to police after visiting his city flat with her partner and two children. He told the court the defendant was showing something to his daughter on his laptop. When she looked at the screen, she saw some folders with titles Naked Pics, Best Naked and Kiddie. His daughter was understandably concerned and returned later that day to look at the laptop and open the folders and found images of her father naked, photoshopped with other men kissing, touching and engaged in sexual intercourse with very young girls aged about six to seven years in her opinion. She took the laptop to Worcester Police Station and the defendant was arrested later that night. In interview, Ingalls said the images were designed to stimulate sexual activity between adults and children, but there were no actual images of naked children. 
He searched the internet for images of child models and manipulated them to make it look like sex was taking place between adults and children. When asked about the ages of the girls, he said they were any age, ranging from, ranging from six years to teenagers through to women in their 20s. Asked if he had a sexual interest in children, he said he was sexually aroused by fantasy pictures and taking it to a forbidden level, an interest which had developed over the last couple of years. He had been a teacher for 35 years and a primary school teacher for 30 years with no sexual thoughts about children at all. Glenn Cook, defending, said his family have effectively disowned him. He's not seen any of these three children since the discovery of the device or his two grandchildren. He said his client was isolated and depressed and had been prescribed antidepressants. He has just effectively lost everything, including his family and his good character, and he's very much isolated, said Mr Cook. Mr Cook said Ingalls had accepted that he manufactures these images for his own sexual gratification. He did not know at the time of committing this offence that what he was doing was in fact against the law and wrong, said Mr Cook. Judge Nicholas Cartwright, who declined to view the images, said the real seriousness of offences which involve indecent images of children is that the children in the images are the real victims of rape and very other serious sexual offences, and the demand for these images drives the original sexual offending and the victimisation of real children. That is plainly not the case here, and therefore there's no harm of that actual kind because the images were created in the way that I have just described. Having said that, you plainly have a sexual interest in young girls, which is very troubling. It was a very deliberate and sophisticated thing that you did to create these images in order to satisfy your sexual fantasies. The judge sentenced him to a two-year community order to include 40 rehabilitation activity requirement days. Ingalls was made subject to a five-year sexual harm prevention order which restricts his use of computers, prevents him deleting files and using private browsing or incognito mode. The order further prohibits him from having unsupervised contact with children under the age of 16 other than is unavoidable or inadvertent in the course of daily life. Notification and registration provisions apply. And now it's Monday, June the 24th. Let's stop children from being exploited. A Get Safe campaign is launched. A detective has spoken of how officers rescued a child from a drug dealer's house as a new campaign aims to teach the public to spot the signs of exploitation. Get Safe, an initiative by the West Mercia Police, Worcestershire's Children's Services and other partners, will see experts across the county educating people on how to identify a young person at risk of either sexual or criminal exploitation and where to report their concerns. Detective Inspector Chris Watson, who is West Mercia's police lead for the campaign, said... A big part of the Get Safe campaign is changing the perception and recognising that children are victims here. An example of this is where we executed a drugs warrant at the home of a well-known suspected drug dealer. We recovered a small amount of drugs, but most importantly identified a child that was at risk of significant harm within that household. 
we were able to work in partnership with the children's services to protect the child. In my view, that is where success lies, in safeguarding those most vulnerable. A key element of Get Safe is the various authorities in the county sharing information to identify at-risk children and put a plan in place to help them. Get Safe spokesman said child exploitation comes in many different forms, including forcing children to carry out crime, gang-related activity, sexual exploitation, trafficking, modern-day slavery, forced marriage, female genital mutilation and recruitment into broader criminality. The Get Safe approach will be looking to improve and enhance the awareness of professionals and communities to recognise children as victims rather than offenders, especially when they've been forced into crimes such as selling drugs. In cases such as this, Get Safe will address risk through multi-agency planning and an agreement will be made on how to appropriately safeguard any at-risk children. Get Safe will coordinate partners to contribute on how offenders will be disrupted and ensure that appropriate messages are conveyed to concerned professionals or parents. Members of the public are advised of the following signs that a child is being exploited. Going missing from home or school. Frequenting areas associated with exploitation, substance use and committing offences. Having new material items and money. Excessive and secretive use of mobile phone. Having multiple mobile phones or changing numbers. Relationships with controlling stroke significantly older adults. Isolation from peers to engage in new and harmful behaviours. Association with peers who present a risk of harm and against parents' wishes. Decline in physical and mental health, including sexually transmitted infections. Changing appearance, weight loss, changes to personal hygiene, signs of exhaustion. Self-harm or significant changes in emotional well-being. Significant decline in school performance, violence against parents, loss of parental control. Diversionary schemes funded by the Police and Crime Commissioner, John Campion, will aim to provide at-risk children with activities and support to draw them away from trouble. The Get Safe spokesman added, whilst Worcestershire is a safe place, there is no place for any child to be exploited. We invite information in relation to anyone who may be at risk and information in relation to those who are committing offences who are exploiting the vulnerable. We must all work together to tackle all forms of exploitation. If you are a child or young person being forced to do things you do not want to do, even commit crime, we can help you. If you are a parent or carer, Please know the signs and report appropriate concerns. Call Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111 or West Mercia on 101 to report your concerns. For more information, go to worcestershire.gov.uk slash get safe. And the headline for Tuesday, June the 25th. 
derelict pub set to become a takeaway. A derelict former pub, which was ravaged by fire more than a decade ago, is finally set to be brought back to life as a pizza takeaway. Domino's Pizza is to move into former St John's watering hole, the Smokestack, which was damaged by fire in 2007 and has remained boarded up ever since. The regeneration of the building from eyesore to takeaway would finally bring two neighbouring and dilapidated buildings back into use after it was announced earlier this year that the former nightclub and fellow eyesore, Zigzags, would finally be demolished to make way for apartments after more than two years of delays. The reopening of the building as a Domino's Pizza would bring at least 25 jobs to the area. Whilst no formal plan has yet been submitted by Domino's Pizza, the current application would give the thumbs up to allow for the installation of a ventilation and extraction system, as well as a few alterations to the building, to prepare for the takeaway chain to move in. Councillor Richard Udall, who represents St John's, said he was pleased to hear the eyesore building would finally be occupied, but was anxious about it being another takeaway. He said, We don't need another takeaway in St John's. We already have another pizza takeaway, Papa John's, not very far away, and I'd like to see a little bit of variety in St John's. Having said all of that, my biggest anxiety is getting the building occupied, so I would say it is finding the right kind of balance. The proposed opening hours of the new takeaway would be between 11am and 11.30pm from Sunday to Thursdays and 11am to 12.30am on Friday and Saturday. Three parking spaces would be included to be used by delivery drivers. A spokesman for the pizza chain said the ventilation system has been designed to push odour and noise above and away from any nearby flats in St John's. The spokesman also said that Domino's does not deep fat fry any food at its takeaways, which would prevent strong odours being emitted from the building. The Domino's proposal would also mark the end of any plans to reopen the building as a pub. A plan was approved by Worcester City Council in 2014 to bring the smokestack back to life with a number of flats above it, but that scheme never got off the ground. Another plan to flatten the popular former night spot zigzags and build 12 new apartments above the shop and office space was approved by Worcester City Council's planning committee way back in October 2016. The eyesore building had fallen into a state of severe disrepair since it closed more than 20 years ago and was ravaged by fire in August 2007. Work failed to begin, despite a condition being included in the application when permission was granted, that it should start within two years. The City Council said permission to build the apartments had finally been approved after the authority and the developer came to an agreement over Section 106 money. For more, see worcestershirenews.co.uk And the story for Wednesday, June the 26th is as follows. Family, pet, cat, death horror. A teenage girl says she's devastated after watching her cat being savagely killed by two dogs outside her home in Worcester. Video footage, captured by a doorbell camera, 
shows a family's pet cat, Cleo, being killed by two Staffordshire Bull Terriers on the driveway of their home in Ash Avenue Brickfields, while the dog's owner tries to stop them. The same footage then shows the dog's owner, a man, apologising to distraught mother and daughter Sharon Bolch and Shakira Jeffries after a neighbour had called to tell them about the attack. Shakira, who's 16, saw the dogs attacking the cat and dragging her into Brickfields Park, but didn't realise the victim was her Cleo until too late. She said, I was in the front room as it was happening. I didn't realise it was Cleo until a neighbour knocked on the door and asked if our cat was black and white. I collapsed on the floor screaming, I wish I'd helped her. I'd have rather been injured by the dogs than to lose my cat. My mind keeps going back to seeing her dead on the ground. I haven't slept in days and I can't eat. She didn't deserve to die the way she did. I just want my cat back. Mrs. Bulch, aged 50, aged 50, said, My daughter could hear all this commotion. She ran outside and saw what happened and came running to me in the back garden, screaming. Mrs. Bulch claims the owner of the dogs said he would take Cleo to a vet, but she said the family have not heard anything since and that after contacting the vets in the area, none reported having Cleo brought in. She said they don't know where Cleo's body has been left, and that the dog's owner left before they thought to ask him. I was in such a mess, I didn't realise she was dead. I presumed she was badly injured. It all happened so quickly, she said. We can't even bury her to say goodbye. We're devastated, and my daughter won't stop crying. We'll never get closure. Mrs. Bolch added, The footage clearly shows the dogs were out of control and going wild. These were big dogs. They should be muzzled. Shakira's stepdad, Ian, watched the footage following the attack and said the dogs were off their lead and jumped onto Cleo unprovoked. She didn't have a chance. She was torn into pieces, he said. My wife was too distraught. She didn't get any details from this man. It's devastating for our daughter. The cat used to sleep in her room. It'll take her a while to get over this. I'm so angry. I'd like to see him prosecuted. Any dog that's capable of doing that should be muzzled. The attack, which happened on Thursday, June the 20th, has been reported to the police. And our final headline uh, today's, that is, of course, robbers stamped on victim's face. Robbers left a footprint in their victim's face before using his stolen bank card to buy fast food and a pregnancy test. Scientific evidence matched the injuries on the robbery's victim's face to one of the robbery's robber's trainers. Daniel Lloyd and Kyron G. both appeared together at Worcester Crown Court over a video link from Hewell Prison. Kyron G., aged 23, of Glenthorne Avenue, Rainbow Hill, Worcester, and Lloyd, 21, of Duke of Edinburgh Way, Malvern, admitted the robbery on May 21st, during which they stole an iPhone 6, a wallet, and a Santander bank card. In total, G. admitted five frauds using the stolen bank card, and Lloyd, three frauds. Both men used the card to carry out two frauds by false representation at McDonald's the same day in the early hours of the morning. G admitted two further frauds at Sainsbury's, while Lloyd carried out one fraud at Sainsbury's. G carried out a further fraud at Gif Gaff. The men were warned they faced a jail sentence. Ian Ball, prosecuting, said, We would like to get a proper victim personal statement from the complainant and perhaps some further medical evidence as to the extent of the complainant's facial injuries. 
He said there was scientific evidence that the injuries to the robbery victim's face had been matched to G's trainers. Both Judith Kenny for Lloyd and Jason Iris for G asked for the case to be adjourned for pre-sentence reports. Both defendants were already known to the probation service who prepare the reports. <coughs> Miss Kenny said an adjournment would allow her to visit her client in Hewell Prison and confirmed it was Lloyd who had bought a pregnancy test kit as part of the fraud. The case was adjourned until July 22nd when both men are scheduled to be sentenced. Judge Robert Jukes QC told the men that the adjournment on Monday for a pre-sentence report was not an indication of a non-custodial sentence and told them offences of this kind normally result in an immediate custodial sentence. Thank you, Phil. That concludes the headline stories, so we'll now read a selection of other stories from this week's newspapers. And Jane, if you'd like to start us off. And this is from Friday, June, June the 21st. Um, it says, Welcome to HMP Hewell. A coroner has warned that services at a Worcestershire prison require radical overhaul. Geraint Williams demanded action to prevent further deaths after an inquest into a prisoner who killed himself at HMP Hewell in Redditch. Kelvin Speakman had a history of mental illness and self-harming and died from pneumonia and a hypoxic brain injury. Mr Williams, coroner for the county, said during the course of this inquest the evidence revealed matters giving rise to concern. In my opinion, there is a risk that further deaths will occur unless action is taken. Mr Williams made the comments in a report sent to HMP Prison Service and HMP Hewell following the inquest into Mr Speakman's death in May 2016. Mr Williams said communication between prison staff was either not consistent or documented, leading to a conclusion that staff members making decisions about Mr Speakman were not aware of the full picture of his presenting condition. The coroner also says that this is not the first inquest into a death at HMP Hewell which such criticisms have been made. For most of the time Mr Speakman was in prison, he was monitored under the Assessment, Caring Custody and Teamwork ACCT process, which plans care for prisoners identified as being at risk of suicide or self-harm, with certain actions to reduce the risk. In the section of the letter describing matters of concern raised during the inquest, Mr Williams says, The evidence in the case disclosed that the ACCT process was not handled completely in accordance with national and local policies, and in particular, the standard of documentation was often inadequate. A spokesman, a spokesman for HMP Prison Service said, our condolences remain with the family and friends of Mr Speakman. HMP Hewell has improved its training for staff managing vulnerable offenders and a member of the senior team now reviews all of the ACCT cases on a daily basis. We have also recruited an extra 4,700 officers across the prison estate over the last two and a half years and introduced the Key Worker Scheme, which provides every prisoner with a dedicated officer for support. 
And this is an article about um, food hygiene and safety. And I think it's actually quite important that people know about uh, these places. Nine businesses in the city selling food have received one-star food hygiene ratings from health inspectors. The rating is the next to lowest on the zero to five scale used by the Food Standards Agency and means that major improvement is necessary. The nine to receive the rating in the most recently published inspection results are Poic Kebab, operating from a mobile van at the lay-by between Hamsway and Malvern, A449 roundabout. Attila Kebabs, which is described as a mobile caterer. Curry Hut in Upper Tithing. Dixie Chicken in Sidbury. Happy Taste in Orchard Street. Kay's in The Cross. The Premier's Red Hill Store in Presswich Avenue. Seven View Hotel and Bar in Newport Street and Watan Supermarket in Coal Hill. The FSA scheme gives business ratings sorry, gives businesses a rating from five to zero, and the food outlets are forced to display the information on their premises and online, so consumers can make more informed choices about where to buy and eat food. The ratings available range from five, hygiene standards are very good, to zero. Urgent improvement is required. No city takeaways are currently listed on the FSA site as having a zero website, although Panama Jacks in Angel Street made headlines earlier this year for receiving the worst possible rating. The Texas-style burger and steakhouse was later retested in April, but again received the poorest rating before eventually closing. Ratings are judged by inspectors on the standards in the handling of food, how food is stored, how food is prepared, cleanliness of facilities and pest control, how food safety is managed and evidence staff know about food safety. Helen Cameron, food safety manager at Worcestershire Regulatory Services, said, The food hygiene ratings are about putting power into the hands of the public because they can see at a glance the standard of hygiene in restaurants, cafes, takeaways and food retailers. If a business only scores one out of five, they'll be given a written action plan on how to improve their standards and could face enforcement action if improvements are not made. We encourage people to alert us to any issues they find at food outlets on 01905 822 or food.gov.uk. A reporter attempted to contact each of the takeaways for a response. And the next story has got the headline, New Quarry Powers. New powers to keep people out of a quarry where several people have drowned in recent years could be adopted by Malvern Hills District Council. Members of the council's executive committee will next week be asked to consider adopting a public space protection order to cover the gullet quarry off Castle Morton Common. The order is available to the council under the Antisocial Behaviour, Crime and Policing Act. 2014. A report going before the committee says that despite patrols by the police, fire service and Malvern Hills Trust wardens in the summer, there are still frequent incidents of people getting into the lake to swim. 
Under the bylaws that cover the trust land, entry into the fenced-out area and swimming in the quarry itself are unlawful. However, attempts to enforce these bylaws have proved difficult to implement. The police have attended the site on a number of occasions this year at the trust's request and successfully moved people on, but contraventions have continued. If the order is approved, anyone who goes through the perimeter fence or enters the water or who drinks alcohol in the area will be subject to a £100 fixed penalty, which could rise to £1,000 if unpaid. The District Council will be responsible for operating the scheme. The order will lapse after three years with the option to renew it for a further three years. At its meeting on Tuesday, June 25th, the Executive Committee will decide whether to launch a public consultation on the proposal as a first step in the process of making the order. And today we discover which school has been named Primary School of the Year. The winner of this year's Primary School of the Year was awarded to Perryfield's Primary Pupil Referral Unit. Following four consecutive outstanding Ofsted reports, the school is a testament to the success that Perryfields has enjoyed in recent years. Headteacher Pete Hines says the school relentlessly seeks to improve and will never stop trying to make life better for its pupils. Talking about the award, Mr Hines said, Fantastic team effort from a wonderful school. If we believe we can, we will. Along with educating pupils on-site, Perryfields provides behaviour support to 111 primary, first and middle schools in South Worcestershire. The Ofsted report highlighted that Perryfields successfully returns pupils to mainstream school and prepares them for the next stage of their education. Mr Hines added, We need to be proud of how far we have come, but never stop pushing ourselves to be the best that we can be in helping build pupils' aspirations and getting them back on track. And this is Dogs Get to Work. Dog owners got to spend their day in the company of their best furry friends. Bring Your Dog to Work Day was celebrated in Worcester and beyond on Friday the 21st with office staff, barmen, shop workers and people from a host of other professions taking their pooches to work. Barking mad as it may sound, Readers got into the spirit, spending the perfect day with your four-legged assistants. Fish for dogs like to have their dogs with them all year round. On average, there are 12 dogs in the office. But when more staff are in, the number can increase to 20. This year, they have celebrated with a team get-together in the grounds of the Droitwich head office. Lisa Ventura in Lower Wick works from her own dedicated home office for a global technology and events company, so her dog, Poppy, gets to go to work with her every day. Miss Ventura said she is the chief security officer, the CSO. She always guards me where I work and makes sure I and the house is safe for, from intruders. Bailey, 20 months old, has been coming to Angel Place Market with owner Steve Taylor Wednesday to Saturday since he was 10 weeks old. Mr Taylor said he's loved by all the customers. Studies show bringing dogs to work can be beneficial for employees' productivity and well-being. At Croom Shop for the National Trust, Leo keeps employees' company two to three times a week. He mainly likes to sit on everyone's lap. 
I love it. Um, as Phil mentioned earlier, uh, much of the paper was today was about the education awards in Worcester. And I'm going to read this story, which actually links back to one of our headline um, stories as well. It's a community makes a big impact. Pitmaston Primary School was the worthy winner of this year's Community Involvement Award after their remarkable efforts to find a stem cell match for pupil Oscar Saxelby Lee. Nearly 5,000 people turned out at the school in Malvern Road in March to register with DKMS, an organisation which helps to find stem cell donors for people with serious illnesses. The school launched the drive after Oscar, a exceptional pupil, was diagnosed with T-cell acute lymphoblastic leukaemia. The story of Oscar's fight and the campaign led by the school went global, featuring in newspapers as far away as India and the United States. Kate Wilcock, head teacher of Pitmaston, said, It feels amazing, and what we were able to achieve on that weekend was incredible, not only helping Oscar, but finding other people donors. I'm so privileged to be head at Pitmaston, and the most important thing is that over that weekend, we were able to find other people donors who needed them. The Pitmaston School Donor Drive was the largest of its kind in the UK, and what started as a small group of volunteers caught the attention of the wider community and led to thousands more people registering as donors at separate events across Worcester and online in the following days and weeks. The charity believes at least 10,000 new potential donors were inspired to join the register by Oscar's story. In April, Oscar found a match, allowing him to begin the treatment process. However, the efforts of everyone from Pitmaston Primary will not only make a difference to Oscar's life, but perhaps to many more, and was a great example of what can be achieved when the community comes together. It makes them worthy winners of the Community Involvement Award, which celebrates individuals and groups which have gone the extra mile to make a difference in their community and beyond. That's great. Right, so this is a story from Tuesday, June the 25th. Um, debris Island Removed. A huge debris island created by the recent flooding has been removed from the River Severn in Worcester. On Sunday, June the 23rd, teams from the Environment Agency and Worcestershire County Council's Highway, Highways Department joined forces to remove the rubbish, which had been swept down the river in the recent heavy rain and piled up at the side of Worcester Bridge. Boat teams took to the water to remove the various pieces of plastic waste and litter from the island, which included a window unit and a small boat, before a highways grabber operator took away the larger pieces from the river. One of the most substantial pieces making up the island was a large tree trunk, which was removed from the river and deposited onto the bridge, before being loaded onto a lorry and taken away. Worcester residents and passers-by stood next to the bridge watching the work, which got underway from 5pm. The bridge was closed until 10pm, eastbound from St John's, to allow the work to be carried out. Last week, a Worcester resident called for action, branding the island of debris disgusting. Jacqueline Tong, a volunteer from Herefordshire Wildlife and Countryside Conservation, said it ruined the city's iconic riverside and made Worcester look like a third-world city. The Environment Agency had to wait until the water levels from the flood had sufficiently receded before carrying out the work, with areas of Worcester such as South Quay remaining underwater for several days. 
The clean-up operation took place at South Quay last week, with teams coming in and power-washing the pavement, removing the silt and swan droppings that were left as a result of the flood. And this headline, also from Tuesday's paper, is a quotation from Councillor Richard Udall, in which he says, Create a park for war bomb victims. A new park commemorating people killed and injured by German bombers in the Second World War is to be proposed to Worcester City Council. The park would be built near the site of the old Miko Works in Bromyard Road, where, on October 3rd, 1940, a lone German bomber aircraft hit St John's, killing seven people and injuring 50 others and destroying a number of houses. No public memorial exists to commemorate the bombing, and with allotment land known as Sanctuary Park to be developed for housing, a motion to build a memorial park has been put forward by St John's City Councillor Richard Udall and will go before the authority on July the 16th. The Miko bombing was the only one to cause a loss of life in Worcester during the Second World War. Councillor Udall said... The bombing is still remembered in St John's and many people can still recall the events and have heard stories from parents and grandparents who both witnessed and remembered the incident. The new park would be a fitting and lasting memorial to the events of that tragic day and would act as a symbol of peace and reconciliation. It will be a place where children can play safely and where residents could go for quiet reflection and relaxation. I have long argued that a memorial to the events of 1940 is needed in Worcester, especially in St John's, and I can't think of a better way to do this than to dedicate a new park for the well-being of the local community. I hope the new park will include a community orchard, a wild flower meadow with poppies, both red and white, and an area for picnics, kicking a ball and dog walking. I sincerely hope that councillors from across the political divide will be able to support this motion and that we can open this new park. According to the plans, the current sanctuary park will be divided into two sites, with one side having 25 new houses for rent built by Fortis Living. Riverside Pub under Hammer The Wharf Inn at Holt Heath will be going under the hammer later this summer. The Riverside Public House stands in over an acre and has extensive frontage to the Severn, positioned next to a famed crossing point of the river and despite its rural position is only five miles from the northern outskirts of Worcester, six miles from Kidderminster and three miles from Droitwich. The property was acquired by the present owner in 2011 from a pub company and since that when it's been extensively refurbished to a high standard. The property offers Riverside View Bar, Restaurant, Function Room, Games Rooms and three bedroom owners accommodation. There are Riverside Gardens, car parking, children's play area, fishing rights and moorings on the Severn and also available is a boathouse with six letting bedrooms and an additional quarter of an acre with planning permission for a commercial unit of 1,600 square feet. Now, the auction of the property will be taking place at the premises on Thursday, August the 1st at 2.30. And if you fancy owning this pub, for all inquiries, contact auctioneers Sidney Phillips on 01981 250333 or email hembray at sydneyphillips.co.uk and the guide price, so they say, is 325000 A mere snip. And continuing a food and drinks theme, this story's 
headline is End of an Era for Chippy. Mystery surrounds the closure of a popular fish and chip shop in Worcester. There is a sign on the shop front of Ambleside Fish Bar from the Specialist Enforcement Unit notifying customers that the fish and chip shop has been closed. According to the Fish Bar's website, it says the shop in Ambleside Drive has been, quote, permanently closed. The notice, which was issued on Saturday, says Enforcement officers have today taken possession of the property pursuant to an order of the High Court of Justice. Any unauthorised person entering these premises is liable to arrest and imprisonment. Customers are saddened after discovering the Ambleside fish bar has closed down. Andy Prosser said, Lovely people, great chippy, massive portions, so why is it shut? Something's gone wrong and I hope they can sort it out. Keith Hunt, who asked the staff from Ambleside Fish Bar to provide food to his guests on his wedding day, said, Shocked and saddened by this news, Ambleside was by far the best chippy in Worcester. Huge portion sizes and great banter from Tony and Andy. I truly hope that this isn't the end for the Ambleside. Chris Harris said, Gutted and shocked as Ambleside Chip Shop was the best in Worcester and has been for many years. I remember going as a young lad and Tony and Andrew's approach to customers never changed. So funny and their portion sizes were very generous. Absolutely gutted and hope they return. So many memories and it really is an end of an era. We'll have to wait and see if there's a part two to that story. Mm-hmm. Right, the next story is takes us back to community and also to business, I think. It's vibrant confetti fields... A community came together at the weekend to enjoy an annual flower bloom in a village near Worcester. The Wyke Manor Estate in Wick, near Pershaw, opens its gate for around 10 days each year so people can enjoy the colourful flowers before they're harvested to make confetti. This year, visitors are welcome until Sunday, June the 30th. One visitor, Kate Collins, from Rushwick, said, I'm really enjoying it, even though not all the flowers are in bloom yet. I'm glad all the rain we've had recently hadn't ruined the flowers. I'd recommend everyone to visit. Ian Thomas, from Telford in Shropshire, was also impressed. I'm a keen gardener, so I just had to travel here, as it's only open for a few days each year, he said. The colours are so vibrant, like a sea of colour. Annette Thomas, also from Telford, said, What a glorious day, and looking around, everyone is just so relaxed and really caught in the moment. Lots of colour, and I'll certainly be back again next year. In 1997, farmer Charles Hudson stumbled upon the idea of using real flower confetti for weddings, and the idea took off. Since then, the Real Flower Confetti Company's field has become a must-do summer activity for many people in Worcestershire and beyond. Confetti has been around since pagan times and was traditionally used at weddings to increase fertility for newlyweds and to ward away evil spirits. Many wedding venues have banned non-organic confetti made from tissue paper as it does not biodegrade. That's the end, yes. Thank you. That was good. Mm. Right, we're back to food and drink now. Sweet treats help for older patients, runs the headline in today's newspaper. Cakes and milkshakes are being used to help frail and elderly patients recover more quickly at the Alexandra Hospital in Redditch. The Cake and Shake scheme is now running on Ward 12 at the hospital, which specialises in caring for senior citizens. 
The scheme involves staff offering patients a piece of cake and a choice of milkshake every afternoon. The sweet treats are provided to patients to increase their calorie intake to aid their recovery and help improve their mood. A high calorie intake is encouraged for people in hospital to help boost the body's immune system and recover more quickly. Ward staff, however, noticed that elderly patients were sometimes not finishing their meals and preferred to pick at bits of food rather than eating big meals. So, to ensure these patients were getting all the calories they needed to help their recovery, Cake and Shake was launched after an endorsement from the dietitians and doctors on the ward. Ward 12 manager Kirsty Sloan said, I thought about my grandma who's 90 years old and loves a piece of cake in the afternoon, so I thought it would be a great idea to give our patients this treat. Patients are given special high-protein juices by doctors, but these can be warm and sickly, so we thought a nice full-fat cold milk and Nesquik would be a good boost for their fluid and calorific intake. Biscuits and fruit are available for patients to eat any time on the ward, but frail patients sometimes find it too hard to eat if they have dentures or few teeth. Cake is softer and much easier for those with altered dental wear to chew. Kirsty added, so far we've served over 2,200 slices of cake and shakes. It's a conversation starter and a really sociable part of the day. It helps to get patients talking, staff talking, relatives talking. A little piece of cake honestly brings big smiles to our patients and can make a long day seem much brighter. And the next thing is, we're an easy target. A former homeless man said he does not believe the government will revoke powers that allow police to arrest rough sleepers. Jay Teether, 43, from Morven, spoke out after pressure grew on the government to repeal the Vagrancy Act. The Vagrancy Act of 1824, believe it or not, was originally brought in to make it easier for police to clear the streets of destitute soldiers returning from the Napoleonic Wars in England. The Act gives the police powers to arrest the homeless just for living on the streets. Mr Teether spent around six months living homeless after a decline in his mental health. He said the government, particularly the Tories, always pick on the weakest in society. They won't change the law as they struggle to lock up the real criminals and, with austerity cuts, they see the homeless people as an easy target. Speaking on behalf of Worcester Cares, the City Homeless and the Vulnerable People Forum, Mel Kirk, Chief Executive of Meg Mag's Day Centre, said the Vagrancy Act is outdated and needs to be updated to fit the requirements of homelessness in the 21st century. The current Act does nothing to resolve the root causes of homelessness. And in fact, it's more likely to push someone further away from the vital services that help people to move away from the streets. John Sparks, Chief Executive of the Homelessness Campaign Charity Crisis, which is lobbying the government to scrap the Act, said the continued practice of criminalising homeless people under the Vagrancy Act is a disgrace. There are real solutions to resolving people's homelessness, Arrest and prosecution are not among them. Of course, police and councils must be able to respond to the concerns of local residents in cases of genuine, genuine antisocial activity. But we need to see an approach that allows vulnerable people 
access to the vital services they need to move away from the streets for good. The Act now represents everything that's wrong with how homeless and vulnerable people are treated. It must be scrapped. Lynn Denham, Labour's parliamentary candidate for Worcester, said, I fully support the repeal of the outdated Vagrancy Act. Treating rough sleepers as criminals does not solve the underlying causes of homelessness and makes it harder for them to access support to move away from the streets. Take a seat on hospice bench is this next story. A hospice is inviting members of the public to take a seat on its travelling bench and reflect on their life and legacy. The St Richard's Hospice Legacy Bench was installed at Worcester's historic Guildhall on Wednesday, June the 19th and will be in place until Monday, July the 8th. The painted bench, bearing lines of verse, was previously in place at the city's Royal Porcelain Works and the West Garden at Worcester Cathedral. It is hoped the bench will encourage people to think about how they would like to be remembered while raising awareness of the hospice's dependence on gifts in wills to fund its care. The fibreglass bench has been decorated by Worcester Stand's tall artist, Katie Hodgetts, who used the same blue and white design as she created for the hospice's giraffe, Snowdrop. Tricia Cavell, fundraising director at St Richard's Hospice, said, We are delighted to see our beautiful bench in place at such an iconic city landmark. We hope passers-by will take the chance to sit and reflect on what they'd like to be remembered for, whether it's for your life's work, generosity, or something simple like your smile. It is also a great way to help raise awareness of our dependence on gifts in wills to fund our hospice services. Currently, one in six patients are cared for thanks to the generosity of people leaving us legacy gifts. We are so grateful to all those who support us. St Richard's Hospice cares for adults with a serious progressive illness, improving their quality of life from diagnosis, during treatment and to their last days. It also supports their loved ones. Each year, the hospice team supports more than 3,300 patients, family members and bereaved people in Worcestershire. St Richard's is an independent charity and relies on donations and gifts in wills for the majority of its income, with just 22% funded by the NHS. Right. Uh, This is a story entitled Shop Plan in Doorway. Space for a new shop is set to be built in an unused doorway in a bid to stop homeless people from sleeping in it. An unsightly entrance, formerly to the old Lichgate shopping centre, had remained in Pump Street despite a multi-million pound development. The entrance to the shopping centre, also known as Cathedral Plaza, has remained closed and covered with metal security shutters for at least 18 months. The entrance had largely been left as it was before the £20 million Cathedral Square development, which officially opened in July 2017. And now Sam and Harvester, who own Cathedral Square, want to build a small kiosk of 20 square metres in the space, following recent issues with rough sleepers. Sam and Harvester said it wanted to clean up the entrance to make it presentable for potential suitors and attract as wide a range of retailers as possible. 
Pump Street had become a draw for some rough sleepers who had used the empty doorway of what was multi-York furniture store after it closed. However, Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral and is Vice-Chairman of Safer Worcester, said she had not been made aware of any specific issues with rough sleepers in the Pump Street doorway recently. She said, I do welcome any new opportunity for businesses in the city and any increase of the trade offer on the High Street. I guess this means that Pump Street is on the up. However, it is really sad if that doorway is being used as a home for rough sleepers to sleep. It is sad that anybody should be living on the streets in Worcester, and I am sure the respective agencies will be helping and supporting whoever is sleeping rough on the streets. A tenant has yet to have come forward to Salmon Harvester, but the hope is... is that refurbishing the new space would prove attractive for retailers to fill the new unit and the other neighbouring empty units in Pump Street. And some local politics now under the headline, There Was No Boycott. The city's Labour councillors should, quote, hang their heads in shame over a decision to snub an important mayoral service, the leader of the city council has said. Councillor Mark Bayliss, leader of Worcester City Council, criticised all but one of the city's Labour councillors for failing to attend the annual Mayor's Civic Service on Sunday, June the 23rd, and said it was, quote, pretty disgusting that they had boycotted such an important event. The service, which took place at Worcester Cathedral, marked the official start of Councillor Alan Ditter's year as Mayor. But Councillor Adrian Gregson, leader of the council's Labour group, asserted there was no boycott by any of the Labour councillors. He said, all of the councillors make their own decision on whether they want to attend such events. Councillors all have their own commitments and councillors have busy lives. It is the choice of individual councillors whether they want to attend or not. Councillor Gregson said it was wrong for Councillor Bayliss to call it a boycott. There is no boycott or anything like it. Councillor Bayliss is just trying to make a non-story out of something as usual, he said. Councillor Bayliss praised former Mayor Councillor Jabba Riaz for, quote, having the guts to stand up to the rest of his party and Labour colleagues and attend the event. Councillor Bayliss also praised Green councillors for putting party politics aside and attending. He said, the role of mayor is a non-political post. Labour councillors should not be choosing to not attend the service just because they don't like the mayor. It doesn't matter who the mayor is or what party they come from, it is about celebrating an important role. The person has already been elected anyway. It is about celebrating the office of mayor. Labour councillors voted against Councillor Ditter's nomination for mayor when the council met to choose the mayor this year in May. Councillor Ditter, who serves as mayor for the second time, having become the first Muslim to hold a position in 2004, said he was dismally disappointed that Labour councillors had not joined him in celebrating the start of his mayoral year. He said, It is an annual event that is booked in advance. I would have expected the leadership to turn up at least. And this is about essential works in a plan from Meadow. Essential works are being planned to a nature reserve to replace a damaged section of underground gas pipe. However, it could cause harm to the popular site. The work on Avon Meadows Community Wetland and Local Nature Reserve in Pershaw is likely to cause significant damage to the meadows, but it is essential it is carried out due to the safety risk posed by the exposed and damaged section of the gas pipe. 
Jim Bergen, heritage manager for Witchhaven, said, We know this is distressing news and we all find it extremely upsetting, as so much work has gone into creating the meadows, not just from Witchhaven and Pershaw Town Council, but the wider community and, of course, the Friends, who work tirelessly giving up their time to support and develop the area for the benefit of visitors and wildlife. Unfortunately, though, it's essential that Wales and West Utilities carries out this work. We have discovered the potential for alternative routes and methods with them that would be less invasive, but we've been told due to the risk of continued riverbank erosion, this is the best option. It will protect the town's gas supply and horizontal drilling is much less invasive than digging a trench, which could result in two or three times more land being affected. Furthermore, Wales and West Utilities have told us that the gas supply will be maintained throughout the works. Wales and West Utilities have given joint landowners Witchhaven District Council and Pershaw Town Council advance notice of the work, which is expected to be carried out during spring and summer 2020. A start date has not been confirmed. It's expected that the works will take around 18 weeks and public access to Avon Meadows will be restricted while work is taking place. Husband reported wife to city police. The husband of a drunk driver who was three times the legal limit called police to report her, a court heard. Catherine Hawkins said getting into the car drunk had been disgraceful and she now wanted to turn her life around, magistrates heard, before giving her a lengthy driving ban. Nicola Ritchie, prosecuting, told the court that police were called on June the 3rd and spotted the 44-year-old driving her Mini in Plantation Drive at around 8pm. Officers pulled her over in Barris Avenue, not far from her home in the road, and she took a roadside breathalyser test, which she failed. Hawkins was taken into custody and at Worcester Police Station she gave two readings, the lowest being 108 mcg of alcohol in 100 ml of breath, the legal limit being 35 mcg. In a probation report, Hawkins said she regretted what she did and had now been seeking help for alcohol issues from Swanswell, the alcohol recovery service, and at AA meetings. Mark Lister, defending Hawkins, said credit should be given for her early guilty plea, given at the first opportunity, and the fact that she had acknowledged the problems she had had with drink, which he described as an ongoing struggle. This is one of those cases the focus should be on prevention and rehabilitation, Mr Lister said. Simon Freeburn, chairman of the magistrate's bench, said they had listened carefully to all parties in reaching their sentencing and praised Hawkins in already having taken action to deal with her issues with alcohol. Hawkins was given a 12-month community order, including 40 rehabilitation activity days, with 15 sessions focused on the drinking issues. Magistrates disqualified her from driving for two years, being warned that she could not drive on any public road and to do so would be a very serious offence and one which she would be brought back to court for. Magistrates offered Hawkins the opportunity to complete the Drink Drive Awareness course, which, if Hawkins completes successfully, will reduce the ban period by 25%. 
Hawkins was also told she'll have to complete 40 hours unpaid work and ordered to pay costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £85. Hawkins offered to pay the full amount of £220 in full within 14 days, an offer which was accepted by magistrates. The case was heard at Worcester Magistrates Court last Thursday. Um, And here's a, um, a story about some BMX bikes. A musical theatre youth group's appeal for two BMX bikes and an American football for its next show, Back to the 80s, has proved a great success. What is Worcester Operatic and Dramatic Society Youth Section appealed in the Worcester News for bikes for one of the principals to ride on stage. One of the bikes had to be old and battered and the other new, which he receives as a gift in the show. The group is staging Back to the 80s at the city's Swan Theatre. <coughs> Nicky Payne, head of the props team, said They're for, they are for Alfie Rudd, who plays the part of Corey Palmer Jr. to ride, so they needed to be operational. We now have two BMX bikes and would like to send out a big thank you for them and for all those who answered our appeal. Alfie is now looking forward to practising his tricks. We also have two American footballs and a toy lightsaber, which we appealed for and people have kindly donated. Back to the 80s will take audiences on a journey to the time of Michael Jackson and Rubik Cubes. It is a high-energy show packed with 80s classics such as Girls Just Wanna Have Fun and Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. It features 56 enthusiastic performers aged 8 to 18 and each show interval has a raffle raising money for Worcester Children's Clinic at Worcestershire Royal Hospital helping youngsters with cancer and leukaemia. The show will run from Tuesday to Saturday, July the 30th to August the 3rd, including a Saturday matinee performance. Tickets for Back to the Eighters can be obtained from Huntington Hall Box Office in Crowngate, Worcester. Telephone 01905 611 And now, police help grant wish for Jack, 98. Police granted a special wish for a 98-year-old war veteran when an officer visited him and offered to take him for a ride in a patrol car. The ride-along came about as part of Fernal Heath Residential Home's Wish Tree project. Police visited Jack Wattis, who lives in the residential home, after hearing he spoke regularly about his own time in the police force. Mr Wattis joined the force just before the Second World War when he was 18. Shortly after, he volunteered to transfer to the Air Force to help with the war effort before returning to duty as a police officer for 35 years in Birmingham. After retiring, he worked as a gardener at Droitwich Police Station. As a retiree, Mr Wattis stepped in to help when a prisoner tried to attack an officer and he later received a bravery award for his actions. After hearing his stories, staff from the care home organised for a policeman to visit him. Thelma O'Leary, Activities Coordinator, said, As part of our Wish Tree project, we have been working with our residents and their families to try to find something which we could arrange to make the day really special for all of them. PC Richard Rees from Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood Team visited the home last week, jokingly asking Mr Wattis to report the member of staff who had forgotten to buy him his favourite mint humbugs when he topped up the sweet cart. Mr Wattis pointed to the home manager Mike Dern and helped arrest him. PC Rees then took Mr Wattis off in a police car with the blue lights flashing for a drive around the area. Cat Harris, 
Events and Community Coordinator said, Myself and a colleague only had to ask at Worcester Police Station, and the next thing we knew, PC Reese from Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood Team got in touch and got it all sorted. PC Reese was so helpful, and we cannot thank the team enough. This is a car park charge row. Shoppers have been given a slap in the face by a Worcester supermarket, which has decided to bring in car parking charges, according to a councillor. Councillor Russell Udall, who represents St John's, says the decision to introduce charges to the car park at the co-op food store at the Bullring is a serious mistake. The charges to be introduced from July the 15th will mean anyone parking in the shop car park will have to pay £1 for up to two hours parking with the first half an hour free. Shoppers who spend £10 or more in-store will be refunded the cost of their parking. Councillor Udall said that when the store was built in the 1970s, the co-op gave a commitment to the local community that the car park would remain free so that customers could visit other shops in St John's. He said, I know times have changed and pressures on parking spaces have increased, but they have broken their word and it could have a serious impact on other retailers and for other local services in St John's. I know many people who use the car park to visit St John's, to go to the local chemists, to the specialist butchers, the post office, hairdressers and even the library. They spend time in the shopping area and use other shops. Most also use the co-op, but may not spend as much as £10. I suspect this has been imposed onto the store by management from afar. People who do not know St John's, do not understand St John's, and are unaware of the history and the promises which have previously been made. The co-op is a community retailer, owned by its customers. It is supposed to believe in community and ethical trading. This decision is a serious mistake. It undermines the core values of the cooperative movement and will damage their own business. They will lose a lot of local goodwill and support. They need to stop and think again. It is understood that co-op stores only introduce parking charges when customers report struggling to park. Where they do implement charges, they usually implement a grace period. A co-op spokesman said, Managing car parking spaces is important. Some drivers, not always using the store, have been parking for long periods of time, making it difficult for our customers to find somewhere to park at times. Well, thank you. That concludes the um, general news stories. And we're now going to bring you oh, just a few samples from the sports page. Um, so I think I'll start with a swimming story. Uh, four golds among National Hall for Amy. Worcester's Amy Monks put in a stunning performance at the England School's Swimming Association's Summer Open Individual Championships. Competing in six events, Monks won four gold medals and two silvers for 13- and 14-year-olds, as well as setting four new personal best times. The event at the K2 Centre in Crawley attracted some of the best swimmers from across the country. Monks' gold medal success came in the 50-metre butterfly, 100-metre freestyle, 50-metre freestyle and 100-metre individual medley, with silvers in the 100-metre butterfly and 50-metre backstroke. 
The Royal Grammar School Worcester pupil, aged 14, said, I felt really strong all weekend, so all the hours of training must be working. The next competition on the horizon for monks is the County Relay Championship in Wolverhampton. She will also be representing Worcestershire at the Three Counties event in Stafford next month. And we wish her well. And here's another young person who's done very well so far this season. Midlands Award for Pershaw Tennis Ace. Pershaw Tennis Centre's Imogen Looker has won the Midlands LTA's Regional Young Person of the Year Award. Looker, who's been playing at the club since the age of four, had already won the Herefordshire and Worcestershire version. She's now also a coach at the centre, alongside being club singles champion for the past five years. Looker turns out for the woman, the women's A-team and her county while coaching for six hours per week, despite being diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, also known as ME. Centre head coach Steve Bauer said Imogen is hard-working, loyal and a credit to all involved at Pershaw. From representing the county to ladies' club teams, Imogen's contribution as a young person is exceptional and we're very proud that she should be recognised for this by both the Herefordshire and Worcestershire LTA and the Midlands LTA as well. The 30 national finalists depart on the road to Wimbledon next month. And I'm going to continue the theme of women's sport and I'm going to have a quick look at hockey and then cricket. Hockey first. Worcester women's over 30s team marched into English hockey's summer National Cup quarterfinals with a comfortable victory. They beat Spalding 2-0 at Nunnery Wood in the last 16 thanks to goals from Emma Hughes and Helen Davenport. Despite Worcester having much of the play with several shots and penalty corners, the first half was goalless. But with the benefit of a full squad, including subs, Worcester went out in the second half, confident that Spalding would tire, as they only had 11 players travelling. A Julie Harwood run down the right was brought to a dramatic end with a swinging stick to the knee. Worcester knew the best way to respond was to pile more pressure on Spalding, which was eventually rewarded with a calmly taken shot by Hughes from a few yards inside the area. Spalding looked to push on the break, and there were some nervy moments, but the Worcester defence stood firm. More ice was needed as Davenport and a Spalding player clashed heads, leaving Worcester with a player advantage. After a few more switches to rest tired legs, Davenport rejoined the fray and slotted away a chance to make it 2-0, a lead which Worcester comfortably held on to until the end. The reward is another home tie on Sunday at Nunnerywood against opposition to be confirmed. I don't know if you know that Worcestershire have a women's rapids cricket team too, but they seem to be doing quite well. Worcestershire women's rapids experienced mixed fortunes in their Vitality Women's County 2020 double header, there's a mouthful, with Yorkshire and Cheshire at Barnton. Rapids went down 42 runs to Yorkshire in their opener, but then defeated Cheshire by seven wickets in a rain-affected cricket encounter. It means that after three rounds, the county have two wins, two defeats and two no results to their name and a total of 10 points. And I am reading about Moen Ali, who never expected to join England's 100 club, but will bring up a century of one-day internationals in Friday, the June the 21st, World Cup clash with Sri Lanka. The Worcestershire ace made his debut in Antigua five years ago as a spin-bowling opening batsman and is still going strong. The role may have changed, 
Settling at number seven in the order and relying more heavily on his steady off breaks, but he will still be just the twenty-second Englishman to bring up the landmark. It obviously means a lot to play one hundred ODI games for England. I never ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would get close to it. He said, "It's an amazing feeling to see the team we are now. Looking back, if I was to retire, I'd always be able to say I was part of that change, the whole mindset changing, and the great cricket we've played." Victory for hosts England would make it five out of six and give them an iron grip on the semi-final spot. They're joined in the top four by Australia, India, and New Zealand, and it looks likely they will be the sides in the knockouts. Moen accepted that it was most the likeliest outcome and a fair reflection of the competition to date, but cautioned about taking any individual contest for granted. At the moment, the top four are there for a reason. Because they're probably playing the best cricket of all the teams and playing the most consistently, he said. There's still a lot of games to go, but it looks like that it could be the top four. But anything can happen. We know that. I'm sure teams like Bangladesh will have something to say about it. They're playing really good cricket and are a really dangerous side. Sri Lanka <coughs> are also a big threat, as you saw against Australia. They were playing very well and probably could have won. I'm afraid that's all the sport we've got time for this week. If we're going to fit everything else in, so I will move on to the sunrise and sunset times for today. Sunrise was at four forty-nine in the morning, and sunset tonight was at nine thirty-three in the evening. So lovely these long nights and well, long days even and short nights. That's the right way around, isn't it? And I will also turn to the birthday file before we have the thought for the day. I'd like to wish Susan Roach a very happy f- uh, birthday on the first of July. On the second of July, we have two listeners sharing that birthday date: Elizabeth Styles and Alan Pennell. Best wishes to you for the, your birthdays on that date. And on the fifth of July, it's Ida Hewlett's birthday. So may you all have a very happy birthday in the forthcoming week. And last but not least, Catherine, if you'd like to read the thought for the day, that will pretty much wrap it up for us this week. Right, Pippa. Now this is from Proverbs chapter fifteen, verses thirty-one to thirty-three. Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Those who disregard discipline despise themselves. But the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Wisdom's instruction is to fear the Lord, and humility comes before honour. Thank you. And just a reminder that if you do want to hear the obituaries, they will follow on at the end of the music. That brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank tonight's readers, Catherine, goodbye, and Phil, goodbye, and Jane, goodbye, and of course. It's a big goodbye from John in the glass room. No, not the glass room. The room on the other side of the glass. He's waving goodbye too. And thank you very much for、uh, doing all the engineering for us, John, tonight. And best wishes, everyone. And goodbye from me too. Here are the obituaries. 
Sydney Allport passed away peacefully on June the 10th, 2019, aged 96. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, July the 4th at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. Muriel Lewis, widow of the late former mayor, Alderman Fred Lewis, died on June the 14th, 2019, aged 103. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, July the 5th at 3.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for British Red Cross and Bromwich Road Mission may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Joan Davis, formerly of Hillary Road, Worcester, died peacefully on June the 18th, 2019, aged 97. Funeral in London on July the 2nd. Details may, may be gained from W.H. Uden and Sons, telephone 020-8693-1526. Pauline Ann Phillips, known as Bid, passed away peacefully at home on June the 17th, 2019, aged 90. Funeral service at St Barnabas Church, Worcester, on Wednesday, July the 3rd at 1.15pm, followed by private interment at Astwood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Midlands Air Ambulance, care of Bedwardine, funeral services 01905 748 Victor Gordon John Bennett passed away suddenly in the care of Worcestershire Royal on June the 12th. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, July the 1st at 1pm. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for either the Injured Jockeys Fund or Acorn Children's Hospice, and they may be left in the collection box available at the service. Inquiries to the Co-op Funeral Care, Worcester 22137. Valerie Ann Cole, known as Val, passed away in her sleep on June the 11th. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 2nd at 12.15. Please wear casual dress. Family flowers only, please. Donations for the British Lung Foundation may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, that's H-O-W-S-E-L-L, Malvern, Worcestershire, W-R-1-4-1-T-L. Valerie Ada Hale, known as Val, passed away on Friday, June the 7th. The service to take place on Monday, July the 1st at 10.45 at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, donations if desired for Alzheimer's Research UK may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band, St John's, WR24LE. John Remington passed away at home on May the 24th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, June the 28th at 12.15. Margaret Ann Reynolds, née Weaver, passed away peacefully on June the 16th. 
Margaret's family would like to warmly invite everyone to join them after the funeral, which will take place at St. Peter's Church, Powick, on Friday, June 28th at 12 midday. Family flowers only, please, with donations care of the family or via http double slash giving dot com slash crowdfunding slash margaret hyphen reynolds hyphen fundraising for details call bedwardine funeral services on worcester seven four double eight double one and valerie rivers of barrow green passed away peacefully on june the fifth the funeral took place this afternoon at twelve fifteen donations may be made to st richard's hospice and macmillan nurses Olive Joyce Jenkins of Worcester passed away peacefully on June the 7th, 2019, aged 91 years. Funeral service at St John Baptist Church claims on Monday, July the 1st at 10.30am, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Philip Jones of Barbourne, Worcester, passed away peacefully on June the 4th, 2019, aged 72 years. Funeral service at St. George's C of E Church on Monday, July the 1st, at 1.45pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Family for hours only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Rheumatoid Arthritis Society or the British Lung Foundation may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Maureen Sheila Crompton, Mo formerly Freeman, passed away peacefully at home on June the 8th, 2019, aged 77 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, July the 2nd at 2.30pm. Flowers welcome or, if desired, donations for St Richard's Hospice may be left at the crematorium or sent to the Bedwardine Funeral Services 01905-748811. Maria Zabo of Spetchley Road passed away peacefully on June the 7th, 2019, aged 74 years. Funeral service at St George's Catholic Church on Tuesday, July the 2nd at 12 noon, followed by interment at Astwood Cemetery. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the Alzheimer's Society may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU.